Hey parents, are you mad or scared? It is our great pleasure to have our friend and guest Mel Schmitz with us today on this episode of Stop Parenting and Start Coaching. Mel is coming uh, to us today from Malaysia on four hours of sleep, I might add. There she is. She speaks three languages and a bit of one other. She has three university degrees earned in Germany, Australia, and England. She is one of the most delightful and fascinating persons that you and I have been able to connect with sure. uh, during our our Create, Transform, Become journey. Mel is a trained developmental psychologist who creates magic and uses her considerable skill set to help students and parents at the International School at Stuttgart in Germany. Close. Pretty good. Close. Close. <laughs> she is an author. She is the co-founder of the Oreca Parenting App. Mel writes about the hilarious and the deep stuff that her kids teach her about how to be human. And sometimes, actually not sometimes, a lot of the time she does this in hilarious rhyme. And we are going to get to hear some of that today. So lots of free giggles for the parents and free giggles for our listeners today as well. And lots of insight for sure. So listen up. Sure. Absolutely. Hey, before before we fully introduce you to Mel, we want to introduce you to Mel's work. And the question that we asked right at the start, are you mad or are you scared? She has written a rhyme that goes right in line with this question. We're going to play it for you first, and then we're going to let you get to know the wonderful person behind the poem. Go ahead. Sometimes the angriest parents are the ones who are most afraid. It's easier to hide the scars you see, and it's a game that's globally played. Tis the same part of one's brain, after all, that's involved with both anger and fear. And somehow one seems less embarrassing to show. That's why anger's more ready to appear. A poor school system, an unfair grade, an inattentive referee whilst the game's being played, an undiscovered talent that a scout just never found, or a painful situation witnessed on the playground. The tricky thing about parent anger are the bridges that can get burned. And most all of us have moments where we wish we'd previously learned that when big feelings of anger come knocking on our door, it doesn't hurt to sometimes stop and mindfully implore our thinking to return to this question that I love. What is it in this situation now that I'm most afraid of? Powerful, powerful words, and we're fortunate enough to have the author of those words with us. Mel, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time off your vacation to be here with us. Glad to have you. Oh, hey, thanks, Stephen. It is such an honor to be with you. A little bit strange, I must add, because you know you know me, you know I hate the camera and any of these things, but thank you so much for honoring my work and liking it and trying loving to get it, it out not there. Liking That's it, really, loving really, really kind. It. We love it. It's just the, the power that you write with is so amazing. And you know, our listeners heard the introduction and the bio, all the work that you've done to get to where you are. And I, I hope it's not diving too much, like straight into it, but I would love to hear the story of where this poem came from. Where did Mad and Scared come from? Well, in my work, I frequently find myself needing to calm very mad people down. And the worst thing you can say to a mad person is, why are you mad? Or you should just calm down. 
or let's uh-huh. just calm down now. And many years ago, I had the privilege of meeting an incredible, incredible um, psychologist called Michael Thompson. And he's written a bunch of incredible books. And he came to visit our school. And I was quite young in in the job back then. And I had this conversation with him and he said, oh, you know, sometimes I have conversations with parents and then I ask them what they're really, really angry about and I, uh, what they're really, really, what they're really, really scared about. That's right. Mm. And and I thought, you're asking parents what they're scared of? He goes, well, it's about how you ask this because when you become a parent, at that point, I was not a parent, so I had no idea just how deep this stuff would hit, right? So uh-huh. he said, when you become a parent, you realize that we're carrying quite a lot of fear around. So flash forward a whole bunch of years, um, not only do I know the fear is real and that we're all carrying it, and it doesn't matter how much training you have or what kind of incredible self-awareness or whatever it is, when it comes to our kids, as parents, we're walking around terrified a lot of the time. And being able to be self-aware and realize that sometimes the things that trigger us the most to be really, really mad um, are the things that actually make us scared because we either see part of our own past journey or we worry about something that we know shaped us or it speaks to a deeper fear that our child will somehow not be perceived as good enough because actually we don't perceive wow. ourselves in that way. And so, yeah, and I, and, I, and I thought, gosh, you know, it is really, obviously it's very confronting if somebody else asks you, hey, what do you scared about in this situation? You know, like I don't do that very much with people, but... I think it's very helpful when I personally am noticing my parenting heckles rise because, you know, anything to do with our kids is going to make us way madder than anything to do with ourselves, right? Uh-huh. And whenever I feel that happening to myself, it does it does actually help me to stop and think, well, hang on a sec, what am I really scared of here? And I thought I'd share that in one of my rhymes. I love that. Is that Was that a hard question for you to get comfortable asking yourself? Very much. Very much. I don't like asking myself any sort of question. Um and I think that that's the reality for most people, right? Like asking ourselves the hard questions is really, really hard. It's a bit like exercise, you know, who mm-hmm. likes to do it? <laughs> um, but the more you do it, um, exercise and asking yourself hard questions, the easier it becomes and the deeper your thinking about yourself becomes. And then something very strange happens, right? Like when you get used to asking yourself the difficult questions, then you start thinking about things a different way. And I like telling parents a lot of the time, hey, you know what? The best answer, the best answer is often a really, really well thought out question, a useful one, mm. you know, mm. um, and a nice, open ended, deep, thought provoking one. Your best answer is a question. Now, this is true of your own inner journey. It's also true when you're dealing with a difficult team because people don't need us to have answers and we're not ever going to have anybody else's answers. So I think that a really, really important skill is to get comfortable with asking useful questions and also asking them of ourselves. So yeah, the best answer is a question, a good one, useful one. You said, I want to jump on something you said there, asking useful questions of ourselves is like training to help do this with our kids. Well, I think sometimes, I think sometimes it, it helps when you think deeply about our own parenting journey, right? So mm-hmm. so I've written this book for parents. Okay. And when I was writing it, having read oodles and oodles of parenting books, I realized that the ones I really resonate with are the ones that leave me thinking about stuff. And questions are really sticky, right? They make you think about yeah. things long after whatever it is that you've asked. And 
uh, the, long after anything that you've read. And um, and I think being able to ask yourself good questions or think about your own journey um, puts you in a good position to be able to ask your child questions that will be met by more than a yes or a no. Because, um, you know, we all ask our kids things like, how was your day today? Or mm-hmm. are you happy? Are you okay? You know, those simple yes, no questions. Those are cheap questions. You know, they 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 beg non-connection. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Huh. We don't even process these questions. But, you know, um, sometimes when I'm my kids and I know that I want to find out about their day, I might ask them a really ridiculous question. I'm like, who's the first person who farted in class today? Or who made the teacher, <laughs> you know, say something you didn't think they were going to say? Or, well, you laughed, right? You're going to start thinking about funny stories now. And you're going to tell me something funny that happened in your class. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Um, or any number of things. Could you imagine what you'd rather have been doing today than being in class? Or, <laughs> what are five what things was, you'd rather be doing than sitting in class? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you'll 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 hear really interesting answers, and sometimes you know it might be I want to be on a desert island with with a falcon or something. No, oh, I didn't know you liked falconing. Should we go watch a show or something? But the thing about asking questions is it's so powerful because you know, like when you go to a restaurant and the waitress comes up to you and takes their order. Mm-hmm. I learned this. I learned this many many years ago from the incredible people in London doing solution focused brief therapy training. Um, they're absolutely amazing. It's a, it's a really good framework. Many, many years ago, I learned about being a waitress. As a parent, your job is to be a really, really good waitress or waiter. I, I like the analogies. So here's how it goes. So um, if you go into a restaurant, the waitress or waiter will come up to you and say, what would you like to have today? And then it's your job to say what it is you want. Because nobody ever goes into a restaurant and says, I don't want fish, I don't want chicken, I don't want steak, I don't want whatever. The waitress still doesn't know what to give you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go into a restaurant and say, I would like to have a steak, I'd like to have it medium rare, I'd like to go to a restaurant that I'm vegan and please make sure that I have lots of spicy hot peppers on it, you're more likely to get that meal, right? Mm-hmm. But But for the waitress to ask that question, that's the only way she knows what or he knows what to get you from the kitchen. And so if we think about ourselves as waitresses, if we're getting answers like, yeah, no, hmm, ha, ha, or nothing, it's not because the kids don't actually know the answer. It's because we haven't asked the question that actually is going to serve them. And so think about it that way and think about ourselves as parents slash waiters. You know, we have to think, hang on a sec, how do I ask this question that's going to get this connection or this engagement with my kid in order for me to serve them the meal that they clearly need to eat? Um, and the important thing in this is to know that the kid or teen, young person knows what they need. Not you. You don't know this as a parent. You might think you know a lot of stuff. You think you, you've lived your life and know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't, um, which I think is a really important thing, right? Because we're all taught, oh, yeah, the adults, uh-huh. they know better. No, we don't. As a bona fide <laughs> adult, I can tell you, we do not know anything close to the reality of another person, whether we are adults or children. The kids actually know an astounding amount. So being good waitresses, being able to... Now, what are some other ways that people mess up the connection? What are some other ways that parents mess that connection up? I don't know. I don't... I think it's really, really helpful Mm -hmm. to build connection by not telling people that this is how things should be. Um, Because one person's how things should be are not necessarily other people's idea of how things should be. Right. We got to think about our words, right? Because our words are messaging in two ways. 
So they're the words we say. There's obviously a direct message there. But there's also an implied message behind what we say. If we're forever telling our kids what we think they should be doing, the really even louder message is, I don't actually think you have the capacity to think about what you should be doing or what you should know to be doing. And that's a really, really questionable message to send any person, you know, because we're all trying to raise kids who are going to survive after we're long gone, right? Like, I mean, we're not kidding ourselves, right? We all know we're finite on this planet, right? And we want our kids to be okay after we have left this plane. Since that's what I believe most parents want, I mean, okay, some people want other things for their kids, but I want want to know my kids are going to be okay after I go. Um, it is our job, it is our duty to make sure that they get this messaging as early as possible. And the thing is, sometimes, you know, we're humans, right? We like to take shortcuts. We think if we just tell people how things should go, <laughs> they will do it and my job is done. Fortunately, it does not work that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think asking the questions and asking thoughtful questions and even more critical, listening thoughtfully to the answer without a preconceived idea about what you're going to ram down your kid's throat is super, super important. Because from the listening, your kid learns that they are worthy of being listened to, that they have something to say, that the world should sit up and take attention to them, that they do have their own wisdoms. I mean, all of these things kids need to have. And sometimes I talk to parents and they say, but I'm always telling my kids that they're smart. I'm always telling my kids that they know this. I'm always telling my kids. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that's it. (laughs) Maybe don't tell them these things. Maybe help them see it themselves with the questions you ask them. Maybe help them discover this. Because like, have you ever had a parent come and say to you, oh my God, you're such a good parent. (laughs) And then you think, what do they know? They didn't see me losing my with somebody, you know, one of my kids like earlier. They haven't seen all my feelings. They don't really know me. Like these words ring hollow. They don't mean anything. Whereas if you go to another parent and you say, hey, you know what? Tell me about a really, really tough time you had in your parenting journey. Tell me about something that you found really, really hard that you somehow managed. And then they'll tell you something. You go, wow, how did you manage that? What was it that helped you? They're going to start thinking about their resources very differently. They're going to start thinking about themselves as a parent differently. And here's the great thing. They'll talk more. If you ask a relevant question, people talk more. And if people are not talking, it's not because they don't know the answer, it's because your question hasn't caught their imagination. So, so the job's Mel, on you to think of a really good question. Yes. And speaking speaking of good questions, when you, uh, you know, in your experience talking with angry parents, uh, angry children, and you you have to calm yourself down so that you can listen. If you were to give one practical tip to a parent for talking to an angry teen, what what would you tell them? What should they do? Well, I think, I think the first thing is a realization thing, which is realizing just how easily we're triggered by another person's anger, right? Like if, if you walk into a situation and somebody's really angry, it's incredibly easy to get angry too. We're just like that, right? We're social beings. You walk into a room and somebody's smiling at you and they're fun and happy and stuff like that. You're going to feel more relaxed because we take our emotional states from each other. So the first thing is, if you know you're walking into a situation where somebody is angry, you need to be ready with the understanding that it is going to trigger you. And you need to be conscious about that because that's the only way you're going to be able to manage this. You need to know when to tap out, right? So sometimes when I have angry parents, angry kids, oh gosh, I'm going to tell my trade secrets on the internet but never mind um sometimes when i have these angry situations i've noticed for myself that some people just really benefit being asked 
to let me know when they are ready to speak about something. Because it's a terrible thing to force somebody to talk to you about whatever it is they want to talk to you about when they're not ready. Because what you're signaling there is, I don't really care about your autonomy as a human being. And we, we don't have that right. So what I like to do sometimes is um, I've got a bunch of oil timers. I've got some nice calming visual stimuli. Sometimes I'll just put that out there if they're little, sometimes also big. I've got some oil timers or jars or whatever. And I'll say, look, I'm, I'm going to put this thing down here. It's really interesting to look at. You might want to look at that. Um, just let me know when you're ready to speak and in the world. Um, because here's the other thing. When somebody is really angry and you tell them, I've only got five minutes, like I don't really have time for this, um, you're just going to get them madder. So if you only have five minutes, don't even get into it. Don't even start because you'll only inflame it. And then it's like an angry, it's like an angry pimple, right? Like you don't want to pop it. You'll, you'll wind up with a great big scar on your face. Like, don't rush things. So if someone's really angry, deal with it when you actually have time to deal with it. Um, signal that you are willing and open to giving that time. Give them time. Most importantly, make sure that the person who's angry their point. Because respect is a great anger squasher. If somebody's showing you respect and you're really, really angry, the two are just so incompatible, you'll start to get them to the place where their prefrontal cortex is working again. Terrific. Uh, now I know why yeah, you are... You did. And now I know why you are known as the teacher of happiness at your school. <laughs> I know you love to brag about yourself. Why do you Why do you have? Why do you have that nickname? Well, because quite frankly, I think people are scared by the word psychologist. I don't know what it's like where you are, but where I am and where I was growing up, you know, if you said psychologist, people go, oh, I don't want you to read my mind or I don't want you to be analyzing me or can you read my thoughts and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, obviously we don't do anything of the sort. And I just wanted people to feel comfortable around me. And if you say psychologist to a parent, they think, oh, this person is inviting me in for a meeting because they think something's wrong with my kid. Um, and I've not had a conversation with a single parent where there was anything wrong with their kids because here's the thing, people are not problems, yeah? And we don't think that, but there's nothing wrong. And we're not, and I think that sometimes we fear the over-pathologization -pathologiz <laughs> um, of, of people, right? And so I, I call myself, well, the kids call me the teacher of happiness because that's what I tell them. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here to teach happiness. Actually, I'm not. I think the true thing we should be teaching children is contentment and self-regulation. But that's a bit of a mouthful. If I say I'm the happy teacher, um, you know, that's just easy. So, yeah. Plus, I hate being seen as an expert of any sort. So, please, if you're watching this podcast, no, I am not an expert in anything except my own parenting screw-ups. Um, <laughs> no expertise here whatsoever. Do you have a good parenting screw-up that you're comfortable sharing with us? Oh, God. So many. I'm really <laughs> writing a book about them <laughs> i'll tell you my favorite i'm a chicken um i'm scared of a lot of things and one of those things being wild animals my kids on the other hand love them and one day we went to a falconing show i made the big big mistake of wearing a bright red jacket to the show like pro tip if you're going to see a bunch of falcons do not dress like a tomato don't wear a red jacket <laughs> I wore a red jacket. I did not know that these birds were going to be flying free. And so one of them decided to land on my head. I nearly died. Yeah. And so the claws were digging in on my scalp. I had this humongous bird on my head. And I think, gosh, is this what a heart attack feels like? My kid is sitting right next to me. And he goes, wow, mama, that is so cool. That is so cool. 
I wish that happened to me. And I'm thinking, my kid, okay, they haven't registered my fear. Okay, right, play it cool, Mel, play it cool, you don't be chicken mom. So I'm like, oh, and the falcon is there looking at me with a mixture of surprise and amusement because I think he can see that I'm not sure what exactly I should be showing here to my kid. <laughs> um, and so he beckons the falcon back and then I nod and tell, my fal- I tell the falconer that my kid wants the falcon on his shoulder. Yeah, not head, but so the falconer nods and there's this like unspoken exchange. He walks over to my kid and sticks a bit of chicken in the hood of his jacket. So the falcon comes, perches on my kid, eats the chicken and then looks around. And then I realize way too late that the color of the chicken is the same color as my kid's ear. And unfortunately, this amazing realization also happens to the falcon. And so I have I have a super close near front row seat to a falcon, actually it was a Falkland Karakara, very rare bird, taking a chomp at my kid's ear. And I was the mother who literally served my kid on a platter to this bird. And I even saw it coming, like when he put the chicken in there. And so this bird takes a chomp and I'm like, and it goes really, really slow because there's this chomp on my kid's ear. And I'm like, at this point thinking, my mummy instinct is to smack this bird. Like I want to smack it off my kid. And I know I can't smack it off my kid because if I do, it might take his entire ear off, right? And in this moment, I have to restrain myself from doing anything because, you know, although I hate animals and, well, I don't hate animals, but I don't know anything about them. And I I grew up in a concrete jungle. I'm completely not knowing anything. I know this. I know you cannot disturb anybody in a meal, human or animal. So I know I need to somehow get the falconer involved in this. The falconer is like staring at this bird on my kid's ear also looking like he's in shock, but thankfully he jumps into action. And I'm like, get him off, get him off. And so and so the falconer gives the bird some other food and the bird then leaves my kid. And he's thankfully not lost his ear or anything like that, but he does have a nip. And, um, and I'm there thinking, great. So I wanted to show my kid that I was cool mom, managed to give him an experience. And here he is bleeding ear. I'm taking pictures of the bird thinking, where can I find the nearest bird bite specialist? Um, What if my kid gets some kind of rare bird-related illness or something? He turns around, looks at me, and he goes, wow, mama, that was so cool. And at that point, I'm thinking my kid's going to hate me, right? Like before this, like, look at what I've done to my kid. He turns around and goes, that was so cool, mama. And then I realized what I think is a screw-up might not be a screw-up to my kid. Wow. And sometimes you just need to give yourself some grace. So yeah, if you fed a kid to a bird of prey. <laughs> I'm curious, Mel. That's pretty did, epic. I'm like on the edge of my seat going, oh my gosh, he's going to get at. Did you create a rhyme about that story? I did. I did. I did. So I mean, <laughs> if, in the book. I mean, would it happen to be, I'm sharing my screen here. Would it happen to be animal sacrifice? Is, oh yeah, is that it is actually. Actually, <laughs> is. it is, it is. It is animal it sacrifice. Is. Yeah. Okay, I'm so not going to listeners want to hear that. They could not they could go play to the it. website. Yeah, I'm not going to play it, but this is where you're going to find it is at melschmitz.com and um you're going to find some other really cool stuff there too as well. Oh, thank you guys. Oh, uh, that's amazing. Um that kind of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask is and it goes really well along with this like you think you're screwing up as a parent if there's a parent out there that feels like they have an awful relationship with their teen right now, what would be the best way for that parent to start over? Mm. That's a great question. That's a great question. I think 
the first thing I'd say is even if you think you have an awful relationship with your kid, you're not defined by any in the past in our relationships with our kids. You know, there is always today and there will be many tomorrows, you know, all things being equal. So I think, you know, sometimes we're held back because we think we messed up and that we think we messed up paralyzes us from actually doing what we need to do, which is, you know, the future is the thing that we've got. The present is the present that we have. Actually, the present is the only thing we, we can be sure of because, you know, future, who knows, right? So I'd say, look, if you want to forge a connection, then start making little moves about in it in the immediate present, you know. Don't wait. Don't think that you can't. And don't let whatever it is that happened in the past cripple you Um from having the courage of moving forward. Because that's the thing, right? Like building a relationship with our kids involves so much courage. We're, we're terrified. What if the kid rejects me? What if the kid doesn't want me? What if I'm not cool enough? What if, you know, we can't connect? And the what ifs, all the other stuff that we're afraid of actually sometimes can paralyze us. And instead, a more helpful question would be, what if we manage to do this? What if this human being realized how much I admire what if they realize that, you know, they do things every day that make me think, wow, I'm so privileged to be their parent. What if I managed to get this message well and truly to them? How would that make them a stronger adult, you know? And, and the what if questions we ask ourselves can shape how, how much encouragement or how much bravery we have in this, I dare to now connect mm-hmm. with you, you know? And sometimes we think, and sometimes when we don't connect, it's not because our kid doesn't want to connect with us, it's because we don't actually think we can connect with wow. our kids. And there are so many things. And and one thing is start looking for your kid's language. I mean, you know, your kid's language might be video games. Then you know what? Ask them about their video games. Try and make yourself the student. Sit with them. You know, be willing to take some kind of something from them because when the roles are reversed and they get to teach you something, a, they learn that they have mastery that is worth it, that is worthwhile. That is such an important message for a kid to have. B, they learn that you're willing to give them time, even if it's something that you don't know. If we want kids to show us something we like respect or interest in our own whatever, we must first show it to them. They have to see that we value this and not with our words. Our kids are looking for our actions. Our actions speak with way louder so you know i'd say find a way to connect with them in a meaningful way might be a board game might be a video game might be a dance something that speaks their language might be a jam session in your garage yeah i mean they might you might be having a pro athlete you know go make a fool of yourself shoot some (laughs) hoops with them or something ask them about their technique like do something that enters their world because connection is built when you enter somebody else's world, right? You can't command connection because you're the parent any more than you can command respect because you're the CEO. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like the old idea of I'm the parent, they should listen to me because, you know, I'm the parent. It's actually rubbish. You listen to people that you have a connection with because you respect them and you respect them because you know they also respect you. So build a connection by first showing respect to something that is meaningful to your kid. Wow. Love that. So that's I'm going to, uh, yeah, that that's terrific. There's um, there's multiple gems in in there. Make make yourself a student. Speak their, listen to their language, you know, and start speaking their language. 
uh, our actions uh, speak louder than our words and enter their world to uh, build some respect. So this is a this is a question that was created by a friend of mine. I certainly never ever had this issue as a parent. But okay, go on so, then. So I'm uh, I'm interested in hearing from a non-expert expert. That's no, no, know, non-expert. Yeah, not expert. Okay, so I am assuming that that someone has started to create this relationship with their team and they are they are having some parenting wins they are starting to build confidence yet they have to they would really like to have a discussion about a hot button topic uh maybe it's something that uh you know and i'm just thinking of the traditional ones um that pop up social media sex drugs um these things and you maybe you've been hearing something or seeing something or it could be with their friends and you want to address this but you're just struggling mm-hmm. to like how do i how do i bring this up how do i talk about this and not completely blow it cuz i think in my case sometimes i just decided i'm just not going to say anything and i don't know that that's the answer i mean i think this is this is this road because it's quite frankly terrifying i think it's important to to have a lot of conversations. But I think how we have the conversations is just as important as what we're saying in those conversations. So our goal when we have any difficult conversation with our kid is that your kid has the skills and the wisdom to be able to navigate difficult situations, right? So you can start rather than saying, okay, right now I want to talk to you about drugs. Your kid's going to roll their eyes and run away, right? (laughs) Or they're going to say, not now. Uh, I need to talk to someone so or oh so and so's calling me I, I, you know. and then they're going to stay far away from you until they think that you're done with the topic it's an entirely different thing if you can say hey you know i need your advice on something i'm struggling with something blah 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 share something you're struggling with you know maybe it's peer pressure maybe you share something that's going on with you in the office maybe you share i mean teens today are a million times smarter than we ever were Right. Like, I mean, I know they say all this stuff about generation, stuff like that, but I'm astounded regularly by how much smarter our young people are, you know, with the Internet, with the kinds of information they have. They have to be they have to be so much more discerning and they've understood a lot more nuance. Now, some people haven't and they struggle with that. But the first thing I would ask my kid on a topic was would be, you know, hey, I heard this story about so and so and they struggle on social media. I just like to know your thoughts on this. What advice would you give so-and-so? Let me tell you the story. And then could you tell me what advice you'd give? And, and that way, you're putting your kid in the position of expert. You're listening. You're able to figure out just how much they already know, which will help you temper your own parent fear about whether or not you need to worry about stuff. You know, And when it comes to tech and social media and all this kind of stuff, you know, Many parents, okay, not all parents, because obviously their parents are incredibly tech savvy, but dinosaurs like me um, are painfully aware of the fact that our kids probably, my kids probably know more about computers than I do. And so it's helpful to know just how much they know and how they know what they would do in a difficult situation. And I think just asking them what they would do in that situation is really, really helpful, you know? And when I was 13, my mom actually did something similar with me. And I remember 
I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'm going to tell you how my mom approached this very interesting topic with me. And I don't think she even realizes this. And when we talk about it nowadays, she goes, oh, was I ever that wise? And I go, gosh, you were so wise. You were so, so wise. So this is not from anything I learned in university. This is from my mom's own playbook. Um, but it was brilliant. So she decided at the ripe old age of 13 to have the sex talk with me. It was the world's most uncomfortable conversation ever. She doesn't remember it. I have it burnt in my mind. Part of this conversation included her saying, well, what do you think you'd do if you ever got pregnant? Now, I was a 13-year-old, gawky, pimpled, bespectacled kid with a homegrown haircut, right? Like, to my mind, if I got pregnant, that would have to be some kind of miraculous conception because that was not happening. But my mother, but my mother's theory was always talk about things before they become issues so that the child is already prepared. And that was something that I thought was always a really good idea. Talk about the issue beforehand, before it actually becomes an issue. So you've already laid the groundwork with about values and understandings. And they are not your values and understandings. They are shared common understandings. And so she said to me, Mel, what would you do like if you were to get pregnant? And I thought to myself, I go to an all-girls school run by nuns? Like, what exactly do you mean if I were to get pregnant? Like, how? But she said, no, no, no. Like, don't worry about that. What would you do if you did get pregnant? Like, would you tell me? And that was such a bizarre question. I was not ready for any of this. But it was an intriguing question to 13-year-old me. So I thought about it and I was like, I don't know. What should I do? And she said, well, let me tell you what I think we could do. Now, I don't think this is not licensed to go off and get pregnant, but I want to talk to you about this so you know we have a plan. And so well before it could even have been a remote possibility, she had the talk with me and told me that if I were to get pregnant, I would never have to go to any back alley or think about doing anything that I would later regret behind her back that could potentially endanger me without consultation with her. She said, look, I will always listen to you. You can always tell me something and I want you to know you've got choices. And that choice starts with telling me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she said, and you know, like if you got pregnant and you, you know, you wanted to keep the baby and stuff like that, I want you to know there's a plan too. And I was like, okay, let's talk about this hypothetical baby that, you know, uh, is apparently growing in my 13-year-old body. Um, I was like, what are you going to do? She goes, well, you would go away for a little while, have the baby, and then you'd come back again and we'd adopt, adopt the baby. So you would never, ever have to be far away from the baby if you chose that. And I remember thinking to myself, this sounds so way out wacky and so far away that it was the best conversation I could have because I resolved never to put my mother in this position ever because we'd had this conversation. And I found myself thinking, wow, my mother has so much trust in me to have this kind of conversation with me. And she's talking about me about a hypothetical situation that might happen in the future, but she's also signaling her trust in our connection. And she's reminding me about our connection so that I would talk to her about it. So I think first thing I'd say is, look, communicate to your kid that they can talk to you about difficult things by talking about difficult things before they are an issue, if if you have that. Um, and also communicating that however bad the situation, that they can talk to you about it. Because I, I think knowing that they have an open door, however bad things are, is a very protective thing for kids. And it's a message that can't be said enough. But it's said in, in so many ways, you know? It's said in our actions. It's also said in the things we don't say. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, Buds and Bees story. Because that's that's, some, that's some great parenting advice from uh, the mom of Mel. 
not not really say I have one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... my mom was my my mom is my mom is an extremely extremely wise person. Mm-hmm. Um, but she'll be surprised to hear me say this on the internet. But yeah, love you, mom. <laughs> Yes, we love her too. Thank you for giving us Mel. Yes. Is that the best piece of advice you received from your mother? I mean, I'm I'm guessing it's a long list. Could you possibly share with us a couple of gems, things that you've learned from your parents? Oh gosh, I learned so much from my parents. I learned so, so, so much from my parents. Um, My parents were always very good at showing me that at the times when I felt worse about myself, that the opportunities to be of service to somebody else were the best ways to get myself out of a funk. Ah. So if you've got a kid who's really, really struggling to like themselves, um, find a way to help them. Obviously, they have to want this too. But can allow them to be of service to somebody else. I mean, I do it in school all the time. If I've got older kids who are getting into trouble for this, that or the other, I get them to come help me solve playground disputes with the kindergartners. It's wonderful. If you can help somebody who's struggling with themselves be of service to somebody else, you help them like themselves. And then if they like themselves even more, they're able to be of service to themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's wonderful. Steve, you're looking really serious there. <laughs> I, I'm a... Well, I ran out of room on my one piece of paper that I have for notes. And you bring a notepad. So I'm trying to, uh, but then I've realized I've got this on recording, so uh, I will be able to go back and and write all of these things things down. Mel, yeah. yeah, is all you, this yeah, in your book? Um, no, my book is actually a collection of rhymes that come with questions that help parents do their own work. Because obviously, mm-hmm. the whole point of my book is to send the message that Parenting is about deep self-work. It's not about some hack or tip somebody outside you can give you. It's about that deep reconciling yourself with the own baggage and trauma and whatever it is and realizing just how much of your parenting journey is shaped by this stuff um, and knowing when to put it away because it's not about you. It's about your kid. Can you and repeat sometimes, that? Say that again. Oh, it's not about you. It's about your kid. It's not about you. Um, but it. sometimes we're so trapped in this because we're on a replay loop, right? We're like a CD that got stuck. And we need to get out of that thinking, you know, it's about how we are perceived as parents. It's about how we think things should go. It's about how we want things to be. It's about the opportunities we might have missed. Hey, you know what? I love what Khalil Gibran says when he says, look, your children are not your children. They come through you, but they are not of you they are the sons and daughters of life's longing unto itself and they belong in the house of tomorrow where you will never go so Mm. it is not your journey you only get to accompany them so long so it's not about you i got goosebumps when you were saying that's what my book's about what sorry i I got goosebumps when you were saying that like i'm excited for this i'm excited for this book man so mel (laughs) if I like that. See, I'm the practical guy in this uh, little partnership here. I, I want the practical tips. I don't like the word hacks, but I, I like the ideas. I like the checklist, like do this, do this, do this, and do this. Would I be correct in learning from you that even though the, the inner work for a parent seems really hard, that in the long run, it's going to make things much, much easier than if you were just trying to go off of a list of things to do? The inner work will make things a lot more coherent for your kids. 
and yourself. Um, there are obviously checklists also of things you can do. For example, laugh with your kids. Laugh with your kids plenty. Find ways to laugh with your kids. You know, um, lift up Were your you... kids. Find ways. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to ask you: Were you laughing when the bird was ripping your your son's ear off? Oh no, no! Don't laugh all the time. I mean, it's not a clown show, right? Like at the point where the bird was ripping my kid's ear off, I was busy thinking I need to resist my urge to protect my kid, um, which was which, you know, because I knew I could do damage. And sometimes our our protective actions or what we think are protective actions can actually damage the relationship and or physically your kid's ear if a bird's trying to chomp on it. So, so yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, none of these things work all the time. And that's why the inner work is so important because you need to know when to apply, what to apply, right? Like mm. there is no roadmap to all of this. No manual. There is no manual. They never tell you this, right? No. Like No, there's, there's no chapter sometimes... on how to help your kids survive a falcon attack. Uh, or any of the other any of the uh, other things that we have, you know, like, like I think back to when I first got pregnant with my first kid and how exciting it was. And everybody told me it was going to be beautiful and magical and I was going to love it. It was going to be a brilliant journey. And then I remember, you know, the first time my baby had rolled off the bed because I didn't have the good sense to make sure that they couldn't roll off a bed. And I remember thinking, gosh, I've already screwed it up. You know, my child's going to have some kind of damage. And then I remember thinking to myself, wow, my kid's going to have a deformed skull because it was my first baby. And even though I'm a developmental psychologist and I should know this stuff, my kid screamed every time they needed to be put on their tummy. So I didn't. As a result, my kid has literally a deformed skull. He's never going to be a bald head model. And I found myself thinking he's walking around with visible proof of my screw up. He's got one side of his head like, like flatter than the other because he had a favorite side. And I, I remind myself that our kids are still going to survive whatever damage screw up we did as parents if we're able to remember that at the end of the day, they must know they are loved. They must know they are worthy. And this is the thing. They must know that they are unconditionally worthy, regardless of whatever they do. They must know that their welcome from us is not contingent upon their achievements or their whatevers. And we don't show this with our words. We show this in our actions. They must. We must think, are we showing enough actions that help our kids know that they are unconditionally worthy? That is the best question you can ask yourself. Regardless of the outcomes, they're unconditionally Regardless worthy. Regardless of the outcomes. Yeah, because how are they going to learn to recognize that they are enough as people if we are not from their youngest years showing them that we believe they are enough? We're living in such a high-pressure cooker world a lot of the, a lot of the time. Um, we don't have that right to do this to our kids. You know, we don't have that right to exert more pressure on them. You know, if we can get our kids from cradle to semi-adulthood without them being cracked by the pressure of modern life, um, that's really important. And that that will make them more successful in the long run as humans. Mel, I want to talk about your app, the the Eureka oh, yeah. app. And like to me, it's a fascinatingly <laughs> wonderful concept because it's super simple, but it's just a place where parents can go and track their parenting wins, right? Yeah. So yeah, it is. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's available in the app store. And it's just a little something. It's completely free. It's just it's just something that we put together because you know, sometimes you think you're a real screw up as a parent. You think yeah. oh, I might be doing some kind of damage. I'm gonna have a big therapy bill. <laughs> um, and sometimes 
when you have to think about something that will give you courage, it's very, very hard because our brains work like tabloid magazines, right? The worst mm -hmm. headlines come to the front all the time. Like if you asked a parent to think about something that they screwed up or messed up, they might not want to tell you, but it'll be at the forefront of their head. Um, but if you ask parents, you know, hey, tell me about something really great you did with your kid. Um, they take considerably longer because our brains struggle sometimes to retrieve the things that we're doing well. It's just how we happen to be to, to be made sometimes. And with parenting, even more so, because we all secretly fear that we're screwing up, right? So the app we've created has four little sections in it about observable behaviors that you do that you can actually log um, so that when you're having one of those days where you feel like you've really messed up, you can go and look at your little online journal on your phone. So we call it guilt-free parent screen time. And you can see <laughs> all the times you logged, you logged with your own hands something you were doing right. Because let's face it, a friend telling you you're a good parent rings hollow on days you logged with your own hands, remembering memories of a time when you were able to lift up your kid or when you were able to share a laugh with your kid or you were able to let your kid take the lead. I mean, heaven help us, that's hard, but it's really, really important. Or a time when you were able to mindfully listen to your kid without judgment, just listen to your kid. And so we've got these four behaviors listed as actions. Parents can tap on them or add little notes to their journal if they want, they can pick them per kid. And so they kind of build their own treasure chest for those days when their own memories of the things they're doing right. And that's a tremendous concept. I thank you so much for sharing that. Where can they find that on the app store? Okay, and um, you'd find it fairly easily because you're looking for a little unicycle. Okay, so it's a little un unicycle and that's Oreka, O-R-E-K-A. That's right. That's awesome. Right. That's, I just, I love that. I love that as a concept because it's, I don't think humans give themselves enough credit for the good things we do and parents are 10 times worse. Well, I think none of us ever grow in shame, right? Thinking about things that we have already mastered. And this works really well with kids too, like with teens. If they're struggling with something that's really, really hard, helping them think about a time in the past where they struggled with something similarly difficult and asking them how they managed that is a good way for helping them see with their own mouth how they will also manage this. Because, you know, people are more like with an addiction. Maybe it's, I don't know, smoking or something like that. You might remind him of a time in the past when he was really addicted to playing a particular game or really addicted to something else and say, wow, I noticed then you were able to do this other thing. What was it that helped you then? And again, it's back to the questions, right? How did you manage because in your question, you're communicating belief that your child has this ability already. And then, and you can communicate that belief in a question that your kid may not necessarily be. And that's better than saying, I believe you. It matters more than the words you say. Mel, would you, would you encourage parents to actually practice some of this before they try it on their teens? Gosh, I'm practicing it all the time. I, th I think it's just it's really good. Like this is where the self works really good, right? Because if you start asking yourself questions, you get more comfortable with being able to ask them. And some questions are going to come out sounding really weird. And then you say, sorry, that wasn't a helpful question. Let me rethink this. And just the act of doing that with your kid shows them that you don't think you're perfect. You know, you're not. And you're also being a servant to their process. Was that a useful question to you? Should I ask you a question? Was that a question I asked you that you thought was useful or that you ask yourself Again, because questions are sticky, right? Mm -hmm. They stick in your mind a lot more. Um, if things could be as great as they possibly could be, what would be different for you right now? You know, that's the that's the miracle question. That's that's or 
a version of the miracle question that that's used in solution focused work you know like if things could be the best they possibly could be what would be different what would you notice about yourself what would your friends notice about you how would you be so yeah definitely practice the questions definitely think about questions you wish you would be asked because you know chances are if you wish it, it might connect with your team if you think questions are hokey then your questions need rethinking if you think it's hokey don't say it because you know you won't be able to convincingly do it did that answer your question i think yes did i oh yeah yes or... i mean i think the part uh, where you mentioned that part of the inner work is creating those questions that you're asking yourself and i i mean and especially if you have a spouse or if you have a grandparent or somebody that you could uh role play this with i think it'd be really i think that's really helpful for parents especially if they are just if they're petrified and terrified uh, because they haven't been doing this, that can be, I mean, that can be a big jump, a big leap for them. So practicing with somebody, I think is definitely beneficial. I just wanted to to hear your viewpoint on it. Parents, are you scared? Or are you, a, are you a mad? <laughs> well, I think, I think we're all waiters, right? S- yep. Sorry? Oh, that's, that's great. Well, I, I think we're all waiters and waitresses, right? So I think, being able to ask the right question, like, how would you like that meal? You know, what, would you like a side of fries with that? Um, the question's important. And I think then repeating the child's or the teen's answer is just as important. Because, you know, a good waitress will say, okay, you ordered a vegan meal with a side salad and tall drink. Is that correct? So when you're having these conversations and you're asking your kid questions, two things are really important. Number one, do not rush into the next question. That empty pause when nothing is being said is super, super important. That's processing time. Don't think that conversations need to be filled with talk. They don't. Sometimes the most important, powerful realizations happen in silence. So if your kid doesn't think that they're going to go into some kind of firing squad interrogation session because everything is fast-paced, you will have them open up a lot more. Because it's easier to talk to somebody who obviously is going to stop and listen, right? Um, So the pause is important in these questions. And the other thing that's really important is use the teen or child's words back. So like, I heard you say this phrase, blah, 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 kind of like what you're doing on this podcast. Did I get that right? Do I understand correctly that you feel blah, blah, blah when this happens? What would you like to feel instead? Or have I understood you correctly that so-and-so makes you feel this way? Can you think of a time when things were better with so-and-so? Or is there any way that I can help you with blah, 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 so that you can feel this way that you wish to insert how the kid told you? But I think you cannot go into asking your kid questions of any sort until you've done the work of entering their world and building that connection and making yourself worthy of being able to ask questions. So connection before correction or questions. Connection before correction. Yeah. Well, no, you actually sound like somebody that's uh, very, very good with words, language, and rhyming. So, I mean, I like the. Oh, no. Connection before correction. No, no. I can't take credit for that. I can't take credit for connection before correction. That's something I read in the positive discipline stuff that Jane Nelson puts out. And she does really, really great stuff. That's okay. I'm putting it in my next rap. So he, he writes rap. The, pe- the people that listen to my raps, they, they aren't going to be reading that book anyway. They, they'll have no idea. They'll just be thinking, wow, Mel is really cool. No, no, but it wasn't a Mel thing. You gotta, gotta give, gotta give credit yep. for credits to you. Yeah. Dr. But Jane, not Dr. Gonna... Jane Nelson, right? 
Mel, I, they're not going to know though. My, I have a very small listenership in, for my raps. I don't yeah, know why. His I don't wife. know why. I don't know why more people aren't listening to them. But I do. Oh, I've they heard will them. one day. They will one day. <laughs> they will one day. They'll listen one day. <laughs> so, Nate, do you have do you have any final questions for Mel? Man, I I just I've been trying to field gold nuggets over here on my notepad and like it's just incredible. I uh I wanted to go back to to finish up. I you were talking earlier when you were talking about respect and how respect is a great anger squasher. And you talked about contentment and self-regulation mm-hmm. as being keys to our child's happiness. Can you tell us a little more about that? Contentment is what I I really think it's important for us to come to terms with with, for ourselves. Uh Um, And only then can we model it to our kids, you know, like we're, we're continually being bombarded by you should have this, or you should be more, you should have more and you should. And I think this is where gratitude practices are really important because, you know, I wake up and I think, Oh my gosh, like I look at my fingers and I think, I got fingers that can move. I can write things with these hands. I can breathe. I can get up. Okay. Some things creak, but I can get out of bed. I can move. And when you know, when you start to think about all the things that are going right, however small, we have so much to be grateful for. You know, like sometimes when I flush the toilet, I think to myself, oh my God, and the water I'm flushing down this toilet is cleaner than the water some people, many people in parts of the world Mm. are actually getting to drink. Like, how can I not feel an incredible sense of blessing for where I am? And I think it's so important to center oneself in just the incredible privilege that we have. We have so much privilege, you know? It's almost, it's, it's, and, and, and I think it's important to realize this contentment that we absolutely should be able to find in our lives. You know, we're not in war zones. We're not fearful that somebody's going to come and, you know, do something. Well, most people are not. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming your podcasters are not coming from war zones. That your listeners are not in war zones currently. But, you know, there there are a lot of things that we can find, you know? And so I think this contentment is important. And I think it, it's also important in helping our kids see that they are enough. You know, we have enough. It's not a it's not a terrible disaster if we don't get more. And I think comparison, the enemy of contentment. So I think being aware of our, uh, being mindful of our tendency. And some people are more practiced than others at recognizing, you know, when the evil comparison fairy is sitting on our shoulder. Because we don't need that. We're walking our own journey. Our kids are not like anybody else's kids. You know, we're not like anybody else, thank God. And it's good. So contentment, I think, is more important than happiness. I think we chase happy thinking happy is this la-la, wow, rara feeling. And I think contentment is just a much deeper, more powerful way to be. And I think that when we're in contentment, we will feel less lack. And if we feel less lack, we're probably less likely to get edgy and angry about things. Not to say that anger doesn't have its place. It absolutely does. But let's get angry about things when they are unjust. Let's get angry about things that are harming the world. Let's choose the things we're getting angry about. 
because it's a powerful emotion for change, but we need to know when to use it. Well said. Thank you. Mel, this has been uh, terrific. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a challenge that you're already laughing. This means she knows me too well. She knows me too well. But I, I'm thinking, please don't ask me to, please don't ask me to come up with a freestyle rhyme about this right now because I, I, okay. I have four hours of sleep. Okay. So maybe not freestyle, but I did throw, I'm going to go ahead and, and say what I did, a, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. I issued a challenge to Mel on LinkedIn to make up a, uh, a rhyme about, and I can't even remember what it was about now. I feel terrible. Can't remember. But oh my gosh, she delivered and she delivered quickly and delivered with excellence. And so I'm going to issue another challenge that there is at least a short little rhyme about our podcast experience together. I will try my best. But you do not. I will. You're also on vacation. So this, I mean, this, we don't need this for a while. So you take your Oh, well. I, do you know what I was doing just before I got on, which is why I was a little late for our thing? I'd suddenly been been struck by um, a rhyme that just keeps playing in my head for something else because I've now started writing children's books. Yeah. And so I will write you a rhyme. I'll just wait. I have to wait till it actually comes to me. Okay. So you'll get Thank it. You. That's, you look forward that's to that. Sounds, yeah. And speaking of looking forward... If people want to get more of Mel, I know we've mentioned your, your website, melschmitz.com, S-C-H-I-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, the Eureka app, O-R-E-K-A. Would you like to talk about anything else? And I've mentioned uh, LinkedIn. I mean, you can just search Mel Schmitz on LinkedIn and you will see her beautiful smiling face. And you will also most likely see, you know, see a rhyme, a recent rhyme that she's posted. Would you like to talk about your book? Talk more about your book? Um, I know it's, it's pending, correct? Um, well, two of them are. Um, parenting one is, I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Um, I'm very excited for it. Actually, it's 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 going to be different. So it's coming. When we know more details for sure, we will post that on the website and on LinkedIn. So you'll definitely hear about it. I'll tell awesome. I'll tell you, Steve. You can broadcast it. Okay, to all I will. <laughs> I will. I've been telling anybody that will listen about Mel. Goodness Perhaps it, what if there was <laughs> what if there was a sudden influx of new fans who encouraged you? Would that help you speed up the process? Would that help the right publisher to like come to their senses and say, yes, this needs to be unleashed on the world? You know, I'm a big fan of the path that we're meant to walk already being prepared up ahead. And so I think that the right publisher for my book is already there. They may or may not know it yet, but it will find. Like I, I'm, I know, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm optimistic that things are going to fall into place. I mean, of course, it's lovely to know that there are people who want to read the book. Thank you so, so much. The best way you can help me is when the book finally does come out, if you would buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're pitching an unborn book here. So, <laughs> right. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying to tap the, tap the, tap them on the shoulder and get their attention. So. Oh, you're lovely, Steve. I tell you what, you can be the chief marketing officer. <laughs> I will. He's so good that. as a salesman. His biggest problem is he doesn't realize when he's actually sold people on us. So he keeps selling you on it, even though you've bought it already. 
He's the car salesman that follows you home and just keeps telling you all the features of the car you just bought, even though you've bought it and you're driving it home. But if well, I do know, that, they is... might buy 10 more copies for their friends if I keep going. Well, you know, Steve, okay. you are such a good salesman. You are absolutely an incredible salesman because if you look on my LinkedIn, you'll see that there are very few photos of me because I hate being on camera. I hate being on anything. And the fact that I've actually stayed here this long with you without like, I'm, I'm like, my toes are curling at what I'm probably going to sound like if I see a replay. So I'm probably not even going to watch this video. But you convinced me to do this because you're that good a salesman. Like people listen when you talk, Steve. Wow. I, I've got to go pull up my app here and uh, <laughs> like check off. I know it's not necessarily a parenting win, but like that's a bit, I'm going to check it. Is there, an, <laughs> is there a section on there for other? Like, is there a section for other where I can create my own category for a win? You know what? It's your little journal on your phone. You can put it wherever you want it. Create a little win list for Steve. Log yourself in as your own child. Well, I'll let Nate have the last word, but I just, or you, Mel, can have the last word, but I just want to say how much we appreciate you. And I know this is this is going to become a favorite episode of ours, but I know we are when this is released and people get to hear it, I think they are going to be so pleasantly surprised uh, to hear all of your wisdom. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. And I, well, I profoundly is... second that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, there is one thing I want to say to your listeners. We've not met. I don't know who you are. But this message is for you if you're listening to this and you're struggling with your teen and you're struggling with your or you're struggling with your kid. Look, you've got this. You are enough. You're not a screw up. And you just need to work on building that connection. Build that connection with yourself and then start to build that connection with your kid. You've got this. You can do this. And even though it might seem impossible, just start small. Starting anywhere is better than not starting at all. Powerful words to take us home. This is the Stop Parenting, Start Coaching broadcast. And we have had Mel Schmitz on with us. Mel, thanks for your time uh, on vacation. We really, really appreciate having you with us. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. On behalf of Steve Galley, I'm Nate Crandall, and we thank you, our loyal listeners, for tuning in to this episode. If you love what you're learning from the Stop Parenting and Start Coaching podcast, we would appreciate it very much if you would leave us a five-star review and some glowing comments. We also encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family who are parents of athletes and performers. And if you want to explore further and see what Steve and I are creating to help thousands of parents, athletes, and performers, please visit our company's website at createtransformbecome.com. That's create, transform, become, all one word, dot com. There you will find a growing number of resources to help you elevate your performance. Thank you again for your support, and we encourage you to create a magical relationship with your athlete and performer.